it was kind of a whole idea of getting the artist's ideas and then actually turning them into physical things. So that was kind of saying what's possible with our machines and what's possible with the art that they were trying to make and then how does that kind of come together. Meet me at the Chazen. I'm your host, Jennifer Fields. The Thomas Bawley Emancipation Group sculpture in the Chazen collection was created in 1873. Rounded up, it measures 46 inches by 28 inches by 21 inches and is sculpted out of white Italian marble. It was the catalyst for the Emancipation Group project and it currently resides in the Rolling Gallery in the Chazen Museum of Art. Kirk Mendoza is a fabrication specialist and makerspace expert and was an undergraduate student at the start of the project. He's responsible for creating a small study of a reimagined Emancipation Group sculpture known as a maquette, finally bringing the kneeling man to a standing position. Using 3D printing, Mendoza also created objects based on the artist Sanford Biggers and the Mass Consortium's reinterpretation of classical sculptures. We are standing in Makerspace. It's a community of makers and designers within the College of Engineering on the UW-Madison campus. The room is painted a stark white and brightly lit. We are surrounded by sewing machines and just around the corner live the 3D printers. If you're thinking the 3D printers are enormous billowing iron giants, think again. My friends, the future is here. So the machines I'm talking about are 3D printers and laser cutters. So lots of the 3D printers that we have in the makerspace are probably about two foot by two foot by two foot cubes. And then the one that we were using for this project was a little bit bigger, probably about uh, two feet by five feet tall. Um, but there are, they look modern, they look sleek, they look fancy, it's all clean and uh, tidy all inside, but it's not, yeah, it's definitely not the uh, old iron machinery, uh, you know, very oily, very greasy, and you know, all the smoke coming out. It's very clean and uh, things have gotten pretty, pretty advanced. So then with these machines that are clean and pretty advanced, how do they work? Sure. So, um, yeah, there's tons of different types of 3D printers, but the ones that we're using for this project are FDM printers, which are fused deposition modeling printers. Um, essentially, all it is is it's taking a big spool of plastic, um, feeding it through an extruder that heats it up and melts it to a point where it can be malleable again. Um, and then it will go and trace an outline of the actual shape that you're trying to print out. So it will start at the bottom and build up layer by layer, laying down uh, very thin layers of plastic and building from the base up. What were your, would you call it assignments, or what were your directives in creating this material thing for the Remancipation Project? Yeah, sure. So what would happen is that Mark or Sanford or someone else would get in contact with me and say, hey, here's this model of something that we have and we want to print out some versions of it, test out different materials. So what I was doing is I was taking some of the 3D scans that they had of the original Emancipation Group sculpture and then printing those out on our printers in various sizes and materials to see what they liked and what worked well. Um, and then I also did a little bit of laser cutting where I was laser cutting patterns out to create the gold frames that are in the exhibit. So Kirk, you're basically taking something that's translating from one person's view or idea through you to a machine. How close can you get to what you need it to be when there seems to be so many translations before the actual physical thing exists? Yeah, um, we can get really close to what someone has in their 
mind and then translate it to the computer and then translate it to a printer. Um, a lot of those skills are how well you can make something in a 3D modeling software online. So um, the beauty is that people, very smart people have created things like 3D scanners where we can you know, use essentially photography to take lots of 3D images of this sculpture or whatever it is. We've done faces, we've done people, we've done engines. All this, like, that's kind of the new technology is you can take something from the physical world, scan it, and then put it into the computer world. And then it, it holds onto all the details, it holds onto all the geometries, the surfaces. And then from there, you can use softwares to essentially tell a printer how to print it. So slicing it into different code. And then from there, it just goes into the printer and it comes out pretty accurate to what you want, especially with the higher end printers that we have. How does this work? Could you just come in here and be like, eh, it's Tuesday at 3 o'clock. I'm going to go in there and print. No, it's not. It's Wednesday at 3 o'clock. I'm going to go in there and just print some stuff. Or do you have to sign them out? Because it seems to me like this is pretty, although it's not big, we think of things as being big, rusty, and clunky. It's costing a lot of money. I imagine this is some pretty pricey equipment we're talking about here. Yeah, the equipment is pretty pricey, but... Um the Makerspace functions for students, so it is for people to come in and say, hey, I have this idea, uh, can I have some help how to make it? And if they already know how to make it, then let's design it, let's build it, and then let's get it all set up. So um, yeah, anyone could come in on a random Wednesday afternoon and be like, I have this idea, so let's make it. Um, the, expen the expensive machinery is here, and thankfully the students don't really have to pay for it, so they just pay for the material. So let's go see. I want to see if somebody's doing something. Maybe we can get some sound. Okay, so what are we standing in front of and what's going on? It looks like, what was this? What would I look at? You know what it looks like? It looks like a three-sided, what do you call those things? Greenhouse with an iPhone attached at the bottom and like this scrolly thing at top. Yeah, so we're looking at one of our Ultimaker printers. It's a typical FDM 3D printer. Um, but right now, it is printing a part for someone. So it's going around tracing kind of the layers and the inside of the part and then building from the base up. So if we take a peek at this print, we can see that is is a bottle holder for an intro to engineering class, so for one of our freshman level classes. So right from the get-go, you know, freshmen are coming in here. They're learning how to 3D print. They're learning how to 3D model. And then they're setting it up on our printers. You know what I like about it? I like the fact that... There doesn't seem to be a big barrier between idea and the object coming to fruition. And it sounds cliche and kind of kooky, but if you can dream it, you can make it kind of thing. Yeah. And I see you smiling, so you must agree. Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole idea of a makerspace is for people to find ways to make what they want. So the barriers are getting smaller and smaller for people to be able to create something like this. Um, especially in university settings where you have the money and you have the spaces to build infrastructure like this. Okay, I'm going to get the sound of this doing this thing. <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> Kirk, I'm standing here trying to get the sound of it doing this thing, and it's pretty quiet. It is pretty quiet, yeah. Um, we have, I don't know, 16, 25-ish printers in this area, and it's like relatively quiet, which is nice. So I know a lot of people have these in their houses, and they're doing it on their own, and you know, it's kind of not a big disturbance. It just takes up its whole area on the table, and it kind of goes, it kind of beeps and stuff occasionally, but um, yeah, it's, it is very quiet.
How did you play around with the materials when it came to creating the objects you needed to create for the Remancipation project? Yeah, so a lot of it was kind of coming down to how the object looked. Because this is going in a you know museum exhibit, it was obviously a lot about how people perceive these objects and how it kind of relates to the other uh, pieces in the exhibit. So we played around with a lot of the colors and materials as well as the textures. Um, some of these pieces were planned on being handled by other people, so um, obviously there needs to be some durability in there, but uh, the same level of durability that you, you're using for these prints aren't really necessary uh, in lots of other things because it's too weak. Like For example, we would print with a lower infill so the object is less dense, whereas if you wanted to have a gear that you're trying to 3D print, you'd obviously want it to be a lot stronger. Um, so a lot of this is working with the costs of the print because the material does not turn out to be cheap lots of times, as well as the color of it. Um, so we went through iterations of using black material, then we went to white, and then we finally landed on this ivory material for some of the prints. Um, so it is a lot about how much quality, how like all the resolution of the print itself is coming out, as well as the aesthetics of it. So then if I go to the Remancipation exhibit right now, Kirk, what am I going to see that is a result of the work you did in this lab? Sure, so there is a whole iconography section of the exhibit, and there is a, the, a larger statue in the middle of it, and then there are all the little pieces broken out all, all around it. Um, all those little pieces are things that are 3D printed. So if you look very closely at the pieces, you can actually see the layers in the pieces. So there'll be tiny little lines. If you, like, if you were to touch it, you could feel the texture of it as well as being you know, se uh, separated between each layer. So talk to me about durability. Yeah, so durability is a huge question in a lot of engineered parts. Um, so if you're printing like gears, like I said, or tube holders or other parts that mate with each other, you obviously don't want it to wear out. Um, for these things, it's not going to be handled as much. It's not going to be you know, pushed and pulled and dropped and hit. So the durability of it really came down to it needs to hold itself up and it needs to be able to be held in someone's hands. Um, so thankfully we didn't have to worry about too much about it, um, but obviously there are lots of little details such as the fingers on Lincoln's hands or the, there are some chains that we printed. So those come down to, okay, if they get bumped, they break off. So how can we make it a little bit stronger without wasting too much material, excess material in the print or driving up the cost too high. Kirk, what was your relationship with the arts before you were asked to contribute to this project? Uh, it was not as strong as I hoped it would be. Um, I really did not have a good chance to try out a lot of different art classes within my undergrad career. Um, I always knew that I kind of wanted to be in design and wanted to be in the more artistic side of engineering, but it was really hard to find those ways to do that without you know, s spending an extra semester here filling my credits up all semester so um, really what it was was I kind of was had this interest that I knew was in the back of my mind I wanted to explore at some point and the Remancipation Project gave me a lot of opportunity to kind of find that niche of a mix between engineering and art. So now what's your relationship to art and what's your relationship to the Remancipation Project? Right, so my relationship to art has definitely grown a lot. Um, in the past few, my last semester of undergrad, I was able to take a glass blowing class as well as a wearable technology class that integrated a lot of uh, fabric and textile design into mixing it with engineering. Um, so those classes gave me a lot of opportunity to be creative and try out my own projects. 
I ended up scanning, 3D scanning my own head and 3D printing it and then creating a glass brain. So mixing the different mediums and di different techniques was really important. Um, and now I also do, uh, I volunteer at an art studio for adults with disabilities. So I'm running their laser cutter, seeing how I can support them and creating new products for the artists to sell, as well as new methods to drive down costs of you know traditional printing that uses metal plates. We're now using acrylic plates to try and get um, you know high quality prints out of and stuff like that. Um, and in terms of my relationship with emancipation, uh, at this point I have not really had much else to do besides those prints. Once the exhibit opened up, um, I got to see all the opening events and everything, but I am finishing up one or two last prints for them, uh, and that's pretty much it. So then in terms of what the whole project means in Remancipation and Thomas Ball's Emancipation Group Sculpture, I've been asking people what their response to the sculpture would be. So now that you've had an experience, you've sort of broadened your experiences with art, if you had to respond to Thomas Ball's Emancipation Group Sculpture, what would your response be? I don't know exactly what I'd want to do as a physical item, but I think having more modern influences of using the technology that I've been so familiar with and trying to blend that. So I'd want it to be some large piece that incorporates 3D printing and laser cutting and 3D scanning and kind of take a very modern look of like, these are images of our past. These are images of where we once were and what our ideals were once. Uh, and I think with the changing ideologies, changing social perception of everything, that takes a lot of time to form and then the help of technology makes it even faster. So being able to 3D print all these parts took two days to print, which is a really long print, but if we were to make this little bust out of sculpture or something like that, it would take weeks or something like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So I think my response piece would be wanting to incorporate lots of new technologies and show the processes that really went into these pieces and how it is a modern look on everything, especially how these te technologies are opening up lots of doors for people to create new things that they never once were able to. You've been listening to Meet Me at the Chasen. Our guest, Kirk Mendoza, is the fabrication specialist and makerspace expert tasked with creating 3D printed small studies for Studio Sanford Biggers and the Mass Consortium in response to the Thomas Ball Emancipation Group sculpture as part of the Remancipation Project at UW-Madison's Chasen Museum of Art. Meet Me at the Chasen is a production of the Chasen Museum of Art on the campus of UW-Madison in Madison, Wisconsin. For more information about the museum, its collections, and exhibitions, visit chasen.wisc.edu. I'm your host, Jennifer Fields. Thank you for listening. Because that's the way you do it around here.